Well, as you can see, we're in a series called DNA, the core of the local church. And I just thought it would be fun at the beginning of this year to just pause and go back to the basics of who we are as a congregation and what makes us unique in this community. And we discuss, we discuss the mission of our church and how that the mandate we believe God has given us as a church is not something we've manufactured. We've received it from Jesus. In that first message I preached to you this month, we looked at two of those famous passages where Jesus spoke to his disciples and basically gave them their instructions, their marching orders, their mandate as his followers. In Matthew chapter 22, for example, verses 37 through 40, Jesus had been asked the question, what's the greatest commandment in the Old Testament? And he quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, when he said, here it is, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first and great commandment. And then he said, the second is like it. And here again, he quoted from the Old Testament. He quoted from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, when he said, the second great commandment is that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he said, on these two commandments hang the whole law and prophets. He says, you can understand the Old Testament of what God is trying to teach us when you understand those two commandments. Those are the concise statements of everything God's trying to teach us. In the Old Testament, that we're to love God supremely and we're to love each other sincerely. And so as a church, we have taken that teaching of Jesus seriously. And our mission statement is we want to help people reach higher by helping them love God and love others. But there's another passage of scripture called the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. This is after Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He is about to physically go back to heaven and to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And so he gathers his disciples together and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go. You go and make disciples of all the nations. So he sends us out into the world to call people to believe in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. So we're to go to all the nations and serve them by sharing the gospel of how Christ died for them on the cross, how that he was buried, but on the third day he rose from the dead, and he will forgive of their sin anyone who puts their faith and their trust in him. It's a life-changing message for the world because God loved the world so much he gave his own son, Jesus. And he says, once you make disciples, go ahead and baptize them and then teach them everything that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always to the end of the age. In fact, I'm going to preach about that passage next week, so I'm not going to get into it today, but come back next Sunday as we just unpack Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. And so that gives us that final statement in our church's mission statement. We not only exist to help people love God, love others, but we also exist to help people serve the world by doing good, like our Savior, we go about doing good and we meet practical needs and we help people, we serve people. But it's not enough to just do good deeds. We have to share the good message. We have to share the good news of Jesus. And so we'll talk about that next week. So our mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. And we come together as a body of believers to do that individually, but also to do that together in this community and to do that for this community. That we believe there are others who need to be invited into this great relationship with God where they too can love God like he loves them. And they can love others and grow in their relationships and make a difference in our world and serve the world. 
But now there are four practical ways we're trying to help you actually live that mission statement out. Because what is exactly does it mean to love God, love others, and serve the world? What exactly do we ask you to do? So we are using four words that all start with a G to help you kind of remember. That's the way my mind works. And so we want to help you remember what we ask you to do. We ask you to gather. We ask you to grow. We ask you to give. And we ask you to go. We want you to gather for worship. We want you to grow in the word. We want you to give of your time and your talent and your treasure to the work of Christ through this church. And we want you to go to the world as a missionary to this community, sharing the love of Jesus in practical ways, but also in sharing the gospel. Gather, grow, give, go. We've already talked about the first two, how we gather for worship. Pastor John preached about that from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And then last week we talked about the importance of growing in the word. That it's not enough to just hear the word of Jesus. We need to live it out every day in practical ways. And then next week, we're going to talk about what it means to go to the world. But today, I want to talk to you about what it means to give to the work and why this is important. Now, if you are new to Christianity or you're new to this church thing or you're coming back after a while and you're checking things out, what a great day to be here because this will kind of let you in on why we here do what we do and why many of us give of our time. And many of us even give of our money to make this church possible, to make the ministries of this church possible that are helping real people. Because all of the people in this church who give, they give willingly, they give cheerfully, they give voluntarily. There's no membership due. No one sends a bill to their home. No one checks how much money you make before we let you become a member. I've heard all of those crazy rumors. Oh, that church over there. They've never said it about our church, but I've heard it about big churches. Oh, they want to see your last year's income tax returns. No, they don't. That's just a rumor. It's not true of any church whatsoever. This church is filled with people who want to give. And one of the reasons I want to share that is because when you ask people who do not go to a church on a regular basis why, one of the top five reasons they will give you is that churches only care about your money. And sadly, that's true for some churches. It's sad that we've seen people abuse that and, and churches manipulate and use people and preachers live rock star lifestyles off the backs of the people who give. But can I tell you that is a small percentage. The majority of churches in this world are doing the good work for the right reason for the Lord. And here at Fort Caroline, if you ever want to know how much money comes in and where we spend it, call the office and we will give you the latest financial statement because we have nothing to hide. We're a church of integrity that has everything out in the open because you're the ones who make this church possible. You need to know where every penny that you give goes. So maybe if you're new, this will be important. And you can at least leave today saying, well, I may not believe like them, but now I know why they do what they do. Now I know why they're so willing and so generous and so compassionate and so helpful to this community. Now, many of you are members of our church and you believe in what we're doing. This will be a good refresher for you as well to remember this too is a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I put inside of your worship folder some notes today and I'm going to put the words on the screen. You can even find these notes on our official church app 
or by going to fcbc.life and clicking on the sermon notes card. But just to make it easy to follow along and fill in some blanks, I put it in your worship folder today. So today I want to talk to you about why we believe followers of Jesus should give to the work of Jesus through the local church that they are a part of. The first reason we believe that giving to the work is biblical and important is because we believe God owns everything. It just begins right there. The the, the starting point for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who believe in God, is this truth that God owns everything. As a matter of fact, this book we call the Bible, which is really just a collection of books, it's not one book, it's a collection of 66 books, it begins in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 with the declaration, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when time began, when the universe began, God is there and he creates everything. Everything. If you could see with your spiritual eyes, everything in the universe, including you, including the smallest subatomic Adam, you would see stamped on it, spiritually speaking, made by God. Because God created everything. He spoke everything into existence. And and even we believe that we are created by God in the image of God. And that because God owns everything, that just means everything is only on loan to me. God owns everything and loans everything to me and to you. And if God lets us live to the ripe old age of 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, or maybe like one of our church members, Miss Mita Cushing, who lives at the atrium, 102 years old and still going strong. I went to visit her just a few weeks ago. She amazes me. I told her, I want to be like you when I grow up. She is unreal. And whether God lets you live to be 100 or 2 or older, when it's all said and done, the proof that you don't own anything is that you brought nothing into this world and you will take nothing out of it. It was all here before you. It will be here after you. God owns everything. He just loans it to you. Your life, your talents, your treasure, your money, your resources, your opportunities, everything is owned by God. Everything is owned by God and for two reasons. One, it's owned by God by right of creation. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him. One of the things that Don and I like to do is go to the mountains for vacation. We love to go to the Blue Ridge Mountains. We, we honeymooned there 28 years ago, and uh, we've since gone back. And once we were able to go to uh, Asheville, North Carolina, to the Biltmore House. Ever been to the Biltmore House? It's the largest privately owned residence in America, built during the Gilded Age, uh, finished and opened on Christmas Eve, 1895, by George, William, uh, George Washington Vanderbilt II. It is just absolutely amazing and phenomenal. And in one of the guided tours, as you're standing on the veranda looking out over the Blue Ridge Mountains, they say that Mr. Vanderbilt could look 360 degrees and everything he saw, he owned. Tens of 
thousands of acres, mountains and hillsides, valleys and dales. He owned it all. And as they said it, I thought to myself, no, he didn't. It was just on loan to him. It was all there before he got there except the house, and it was going to be there after he was gone. God owns everything by right of creation. But God also, if you're a follower of Jesus, God owns everything, including you, by right of redemption, by right of salvation. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. The apostle Paul asked the question, do you not know? He's talking to believers in Jesus. Do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You see, the moment you trust Jesus as Savior, you made right with God through his death, burial, and resurrection. That very moment you believe, the Spirit of God comes into your life and God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. Jesus said, I will give you the Holy Spirit and he will be with you forever. Paul says, you, you need to get your eyes off physical buildings as if those things are the temple of God. Don't you understand? You are the temple of God. God's presence lives in you. And then he continues, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. What's he talking about there? He's saying, spiritually speaking, don't you remember? You were in bondage to sin. No amount of effort or good works or religious deeds could ever earn your salvation. But God in grace, through Jesus' death on the cross, paid the price for you to be set free. Rescued you from that slave market of sin. And now you're no longer a slave to sin. Even though we still struggle with sin, now you are a child of God. He says, but you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Nothing less than the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Worship God with everything you have, with every aspect of your life. Worship and make God known and make God look good by everything you say, everything you do. Because you are His. You are His possession. Jesus died for you. Now you need to live for Him and glorify Him. So if you ever wonder, why is it that Christians, so many Christians, give sacrificially and faithfully and regularly through their local church? Why do they do it? One of the reasons is we believe God owns everything and that we have been saved to serve Jesus and that everything we have, our life, our money, our talents, everything is on loan to us and God wants us to use it for him and to make this world a better place. Now, where does that leave me if God owns everything? Well, if you take your notes, secondly, not only does God own everything, but I was made to manage what God owns. You're filling in that note. I was made to manage what God owns. Do you remember back in Genesis? We read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, you hear the plural there. Some will say that this is the plurality of royalty. That, that uh, because God is king over his universe, that this is just using plural language, which was common for royalty in ancient times. By the way, it's still common in modern times. I'm sure if you ever go into the presence of the queen and you tell a terrible joke, 
you may hear her reply, we are not amused. It's called the plurality of royalty. Maybe that's what's going on, or it's more than likely just a glimpse of the Trinity, even at the very beginning, that we serve one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And Adam said, amen. And then uh, fill the earth and subdue it. That's not in the Bible, is it? I'm sorry, I just, that just came right out. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This was God's way of saying to Adam and to all of us in the human race that I have created you in my image. You were created after my likeness. And this is my world. I own everything, but I'm going to delegate responsibility to you. I want to put you over creation that I own, and I want you to run it as if I were down there running it. I want you to represent me. Now, we all know that Adam and Eve messed up from the very beginning, and because of their sin, we have ruined God's good creation. But man has not been fired from his job To manage this creation of God as a reflection of God's ownership of everything. This is why, dear friend, it's not incompatible to be a follower of Jesus and to be concerned about the environment. It's not incompatible to be a follower of Jesus and want to leave this world better than when you found it. That's part of our responsibility. is not to abuse the world, but to use it and represent God as we manage His creation. It's like whenever my brother was working for my dad, and my dad would say, Greg, you're in charge. I'm gone. Uh, You take care of things. He was saying, I'm putting you in charge of managing this project, and you make the decisions as if I were doing it. That's what God has done for us. And so we're just managers of everything, the world and this life that God has given us, and even our finances that God has given us. And one of the ways that we show Who God is, is by giving. You say, what? How does my giving show how God is? It's not in your notes, but don't you remember what my favorite verse is? Anybody know? Absolutely. I mean, it's hard to say you got a favorite verse in the Bible. You love it all. But but John 3, 16, what does it say about God? Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave. So whenever I give, whenever you give, it is simply a reflection of our God and his great magnanimous heart and his willingness to give of himself sacrificially for the benefit of other people. Acts chapter 20 verse 35 we hear, and I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. We don't know exactly when Jesus made that statement, but the scriptures say Jesus taught his followers, if you've got to choose, it's more blessed to be the giver than to be the receiver. You get the bigger blessing out of it because you're reflecting the nature of your heavenly father who is a giver. It's more blessed to be the giver than to be the receiver. We all like to receive, but you also love to give. If you give... Your child, 
a Christmas present and you know they have been counting down the days until Christmas, you get the bigger joy out of giving as you watch them receive. And I can promise you that because often, 30 minutes later, they have discarded what you gave them and they're playing with the box. But you are loving the fact that you have brought them joy. And then Luke chapter 19, verse 17, Jesus gave a parable of a king who entrusts a few of his subjects with some responsibility. And then the king comes back and he makes everyone give an account of what they've done with what was given to them to manage. And with one of them he says, Well done, the king exclaimed. You're a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will be governor over ten cities as your reward. So you've been faithful with the little. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to reward you. I'm going to give you even more because you've proven you're faithful. And could it be that one of the reasons some people don't have more is they haven't been faithful with what they have now. And God can't trust them with more. But if we're faithful with what we have today by putting God first and being generous and willing to give, then God says, well done. Good job. I'm going to entrust you with more. And listen, we don't work for our salvation, but I do want to hear Jesus say one day to all of you when you appear before him in heaven, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. So what am I to manage for God? Well, everything. I'm to manage my time for him. And live like he wants me to live. I'm to manage my talents and use the abilities and the gifts that God has given me for my benefit, for my family, for my friends, for my community, for the church, for the world. And yes, I'm to use my money, my treasure for his benefit as well. So here's what we've learned so far. God owns everything and everything is on loan to me. And I am a manager of what God owns. But many of us believe that one of the ways that we manage what God owns and we show that we recognize God's ownership is we give a tithe of our income back to God through the church. When I was 12 years old, I heard that word probably for the first time. My family had just started going to church. I had just received Jesus as Savior and gotten baptized. And my pastor said, you need to bring your tithes to the Lord. And I thought he said tithes, you know, like a, ma a man's tithe. And it, and it took me a while to listen closely. He's saying something different. He was talking about tithes, T-I-T-H-E-S. And I didn't realize then, but a tithe just means a tenth. And here's the third thing we believe. Tithing teaches me that everything I have comes from God. Tithing teaches me that everything I have comes from God. I often want to forget that everything is owned by God and owned loan to me. But tithing reorients my priorities, reminds me that I'm just a manager of what I have and God is the owner and one day I'm going to give an account to him and I want to hear him say, well done with what I've done with what he's given me. And so tithing is a reminder, it's a teaching tool. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, God says to his ancient people Israel, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That would have been the temple of their day. So bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This was the way that the 
temple was supported in all of its ceremonies and services. This is the way the Levite priests were cared for and uh, had their employment. This is the way the temple's ministry to the community and to the nation was funded. So God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. As far as I can see, this is the only time in Scripture where God says, test me, try me. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. God says, prove me, test me, obey my word and watch what happens. When you're faithful to give to me, I'm going to give back to you. I'm going to bless you in return. So a tithe means 10% of my income. And tithing teaches me to trust God in my life. Deuteronomy chapter 14 verses 22 and 23 says, You must set aside a tithe of your crops. This is what God was saying to his ancient people, Israel. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe into the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. And eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. You may want to underline this verse. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Doing this will teach you to remember him, to reverence him, to respect that he owns everything. And he has entrusted everything to you to manage for his glory. And one of the ways you do it is by giving back to him off the top. Now, if you were in Israel in that ancient culture, you were primarily in an agrarian society. So you lived by the crops and the herds that you had. You weren't working at Walmart or Publix. You were living day by day and asking God for your daily bread. And so you have worked all season to bring in this harvest of grapes for the wine. So that first harvest has come in. And rather than using it and selling it and making money for yourself, God says, no, 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 no. That 10% of that, that's mine. You got to bring that to me first. Bring it to the temple. Bring it to the place of worship. And you dedicate it not for yourself, but for me. What did that do? It was a visible reminder that everything belongs to God And if he tells me I'm supposed to bring him 10%, then it's his prerogative and it's my job to obey him because he owns it all. And if it weren't for him, I wouldn't have any of it. And it teaches me to live by faith because if I'm bringing God that first harvest, I'm saying, okay, God, here's the first of the harvest. I have needs. My family has needs. I'm going to give this to you as an act of faith because I believe where this came in, there is more to follow, that you're going to meet my needs. It's one of the reasons that my family, Don and I, we give 10% of our income to the Lord through this church. I don't say that to brag. I say that to be transparent. You need to know whether or not your pastor practices what he preaches. And our family practices tithing. In fact, our entire staff, ministerial staff, tithes back to the Lord through the local church. And this is why. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18... 
Why did God ask us to tithe? He did this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed with your ancestors with an oath. God wants us to remember him, to not forget him, to not put him on the back burner. And I tell you this, if you put God first in your finances every time you get paid, you won't forget God. You're going to be conscious of that and more reverent, more worshipful, and more dependent on him. But can I give you another reason, and we're going to close with this one, of why we give. Because some of you say, well, tithing is Old Testament law. Well, I know where you're coming from, but don't forget, I don't have time to belabor this, but the first time we hear about tithing in the Old Testament was 400 years prior to Moses being given the Ten Commandments by God. Melchizedek gave, or Abraham gives 10% back to God of the spoils of war. We also read in Genesis that Jacob gave 10%. So 400 years before the law. So really tithing, giving God 10% predates the law. It was codified in the law. Jesus commends it in the New Testament. But we're not commanded. You say, well, why not? Well, because we are not under the law. We don't do what we do because we're motivated by law. We do what we do because we're motivated by love, right? By our response to the love of God for us. Not trying to keep some law and some standard. So whether you believe in tithing is for Christians in the New Testament or only for Old Testament saints of God, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to tell you this. If your question is, how little can I give to God? Then that's the wrong question. But if your question is, God, everything I've got is yours. What do you want me to do with what you've entrusted to me? I guarantee you, the more you know the heart of God, the more generous you'll be. And I can trust the Holy Spirit in your life for that. But here's the fourth reason that we give to the work. Giving to God through his church blesses others through the ministries we provide. In the end, it's not just about me being blessed by God because it's more blessed to give than to receive. So as I give, God's going to bless me in return. I believe that with all my heart. Maybe not always financially blessing, but he's going to bless me in my faithful obedience to him either now or in eternity. But I'll never find God indebted to me. But you know, the real reason we ought to be giving includes that our giving blesses other people. I don't just give through this local church for what I can get out of this church. I give for what we can do together through this church for other people. That's why I give. That's why many of you give. Because you know we are better together. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12 and 13. Paul had been encouraging the Christians to give to a love offering for the Jerusalem church. Going through a time of persecution and famine. So like we prayed for Haiti this morning, and we want to follow up our prayers with tangible support for Haiti. So the Jerusalem church of the first century was going through persecution and famine. And so Paul was collecting a love offering from other churches throughout the Roman Empire, and he said to the Corinthian church, two good things will result from this ministry of giving. One, the needs of believers in Jerusalem will be met. Stomachs are going to be filled. Families are going to be saved. 
People are going to be helped by what you give. But the second thing that will result, they will joyfully express their thanks to God. That when we meet the practical needs of other people, it not only meets their needs, it reminds them of God who loves them and inspires them to praise Him, to thank Him. And it could inspire some outside of the church to believe in Him when they see how we love and how we care. It was John Wesley of Methodism who said that his rule of life, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. And I believe that is best lived out in the context of a local church. That together, let's do all the good we can by all the means we can, in all the places we can, at all the times we can, to all the people we can. For as long as we live, let's do good. Let's buck the philosophy of the world that says, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. Don't share it with anybody. No, we want to be known as people who are generous. Because after all, God has blessed me so that I can be a blessing to others on his behalf. I'm just a representative of God. We as a local church are just a representative of God. And he has blessed us so that we can be a blessing to others on his behalf. That's why I give. That's why I challenge you to give. Maybe you need to start giving. Maybe you need to grow in your giving Maybe you need to keep giving what you're giving, but your attitude needs to shift. Now I see it as an act of worship and remembrance of God and to bless other people. And maybe today you as a leader of this church, a volunteer, need to recognize we don't just need people who say, I believe in this church and I love what this church does and amens the sermons and sings during the worship set. We need people who will partner in giving. To reach this community with the love of Jesus. We're on a mission to help people reach higher. By loving God, loving others, and serving this world. We need you to be a part of that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for inviting us into a relationship with you by your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you paid the price so that we could be forgiven of our sin. You gave of your very best you gave of the Lord Jesus Christ and you held nothing back. He gave his life, even his blood for us on the cross of Calvary. And he rose from the dead and his resurrection power lives in us. And now we want to be found faithful to love God, to love others, and to serve the world. And one of the primary ways we do that is by giving financially to your work in this world through the local church. And Father, I can't speak for other churches, but I can say with integrity, this church wants to glorify you in every way, in how we Use what is entrusted to this church through the free will offerings of your people. And I thank you for the impact you're making here and around the world through this church. Do it for your name, for your glory, for your honor. God, if there's anyone that needs Jesus as their Savior, let them turn from their sin. Believe on him now for the gift of eternal life and for forgiveness. And let them not be ashamed, but let them tell someone 
Today I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.